Hello, hello, welcome. So glad to have you back. I am super pumped about lesson number two, which comes from chapter number two, as we are going into the wisdom tradition of Proverbs. Because they are one of the main, and I mean main, repositories of the early wisdom tradition. What always amazes me about studying Proverbs is so often we are literally unsure of when they were first created as nearly all of them predate writing and they were passed down from generation to generation verbally before finally a system a system of writing emerged and captured these stories and recorded them for all of us to read today really think about that what we're reading here in chapter two were probably conceived of five ten maybe even fifteen thousand years ago that is just stunning and we get the privilege to read and study the earliest of our ancestors so the prominence of proverbs in the early oral tradition reflects the fact that before writing was invented they served as a kind of mnemonic now you may not remember the term mnemonic but by by name but it's really nothing more than a simple device that us humans we use to remember something they come in many different forms like patterns of letters or ideas or rhymes or associations uh, well it's it it is through these mnemonic devices that many of the proverbs survived and made it to us today the proverbs function in many respects like poetry there is colorful language oral techniques such as recognizable rhythms, internal rhyme, figurative devices, metaphors, all providing a means of memorizing and solidifying the core meaning of the proverb into our long-term memory. In the good old days of education, where memorization was so very important in a pre-Google day where you, every piece of knowledge is almost at your fingertips, uh, we, we could appreciate the challenges and complexities of rote memorization. So Proverbs, they read easy. They often rhyme. They use vivid images or simple language as the only way they could survive was through the next generation memorizing them, remembering them, and being able to pass them forward to the next generation. But beyond the way or mnemonic devices used, the Proverbs were not some silly fairy tale or story for fun usually. Their purpose was to teach, especially to teach in moral instruction. This was almost always the purpose uh, so that they could pass on moral and ethical values to the next generation. Now, Proverbs, they hit square in the bullseye in capturing significant truth or shrewd observations that express the wisdom of the people. This wisdom usually has ethical implications that not only was necessary for the individual to succeed, but literally for the entire civilization to succeed. Uh, we live right now in a very ego-driven, self-absorbed world. That's just where we're at. One at, where at times it feels like it's just okay to trample over others or push your way to the top, and it and it's all just part of the game. Well, the wisdom tradition of Proverbs would completely disagree with this modern notion, as most of the proverbial traditions find that success, and when I'm saying success, 
I mean, I mean the the individual success has more to do with advancing the group, the civilization, the family, and the entirety of everyone, rather than putting an individual trophy on the shelf or a new uh, Maserati in the driveway. I think there is so much these ancient ideals of wisdom can teach us. It isn't all about you or me, for that matter, but how can each of us, in our own way, live ethically, kindly, empathetically, as if we all do this individually, it will translate for success for everyone, or at least create a more ethical and fair playing field. So these proverbs usually come one way or another from the popular traditions of any given civilization. Uh, they're, they're made to be spoken and repeated, often in very simple and plain languages that we've already talked about, but never do we read proverbs with a bunch of intellectual jargon, uh, five-syllable words, high-minded speech. I'm almost certain in reading through the Proverbs in chapter 2, you recognize uh, very modern versions of these Proverbs because these wisdom just seem to be passed down over and over uh, across time and across civilization. So the Proverbs, they may be some of the oldest wisdom we will encounter in our studies of wisdom literature. And so it's due a certain level of respect. Uh, they sort of began to fall out of favor, though, uh, a bit as society evolved, especially after the Enlightenment with the introduction and the growth of science. And at this point, a level of abstraction started to seep into the writings of our philosophers and especially the European th thinkers uh, that didn't necessarily favor the retention of Proverbs as a, as a conduit of ethical wisdom anymore. They became viewed more too simplistic, little fables, little stories, cute little sayings, but they lacked the depth, the complexity of the philosophies that were emerging in the Enlightenment. So, And, and science, of course, encroached very heavily into the world. Uh, previously dominated by the oral tradition of these proverbs. So the historical proverb traditions, like the traditions of fables, uh, have a very important place in the history of Western philosophy. Whether they want to admit it or not, proverbs provided a part of the history by which thinkers slowly came to formulate and recognize logical proposition, propositions, which then can be examined and verified internally. In spite of their decline, Proverbs are a living part of our linguistic culture and they have persisted to some extent in legal and ethical maxims, in simple rhymes, in musical lyrics, in familiar sayings, which oftentimes get dismissed as cliche and, and other forms of popular expression. In this chapter, there's actually three different types of Proverbs and you sampled or you're going to get to sample them all. Uh, so here's the three traditions, you know, the wisdom literature proverbs. And especially we see that with the Torah. Uh, it shows up again in chapter two. You know, we we looked at the Torah in a different context in chapter number one as we were looking at those ethical laws. Uh, but this focuses on some of the proverbial traditions 
the sayings of the wise people is a very common in wisdom lit literature, especially articulated by those who see into the true nature of things and succeeded at very difficult tasks. Or they became part of the, the, the sacred literature or somehow, some way emerged. This wise prophet emerges from very difficult challenges and has profound knowledge and wisdom. And, and as a result, when we look at the Torah, we look at the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, uh, there are honorifically attributed to King Solomon in much the same way uh, early kings like Hammurabi, for example, were associated with the customary law. So wisdom literature is one form of proverb. The second form of proverb is called a historical proverb. And this is respect for ancient tradition and may have actually reached its height in China due to their incredible respect and honoring of those ancient of their ancestral past so the prevalence of chinese proverbs appears to have been related to the reliance on rote learning in classical chinese culture and these proverbs were written in a way that encouraged students to pound via rote memorization the ancient chinese wisdom into their heads uh, from the great masters and the great minds and then the third form of proverb is actually called ethical realism. And I think this is maybe the more challenging one to grasp. But the purpose of these proverbs is to help us, you and I, to combat cunning and deception that all too often attempt to pass for wisdom and intelligence. When in fact, much of what is said in the world is meant to deceive, manipulate, and coerce people into making poor decisions. I think we can all attest to times where we were so convinced, or maybe even convinced ourselves into doing something that we thought was wise, but in fact was incredibly detrimental uh, to either yourself, your family, or even your community. Ethical realism helps us cut through the BS of the deception in the world and get us on an ethical path. And that is incredibly powerful. And we'll see that uh, when we look after the, the, the Hindu tradition. So after I read through this chapter, I thought to myself, you know, what is, is there any uniting theme that really stands out to me that bring, that can bring the Hebrew, the Chinese, the, Hindi traditions together into one. And, and if I had to try to boil down a theme that stood out to me in its various guises, I would say it was probably hubris. Hubris can and will bring you down if you're not careful. Seems to be a common theme that we see. So this, this idea of hubris, or maybe we call it arrogance, self-conceit, or excessive pride and vanity, you can use any term you want. I think you get the point. But hubris will bring you down, bring me down. The path is clear. We all know it. Yet, it's way too easy to let our pride get out of control. And I'm guilty as charged. Uh, as anybody who knows me knows, I, I, I can admittedly struggle with this at times. So now, you might be saying to yourself, though, oh, not me. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm humble 
all the time. This isn't my problem at all. And to you, I would just say, really? Do you ever make snide comments about other people's opinions on things? As if you have it all figured out? Ever done that before? Do you sort of see someone make a dumb decision or a misinformed decision and give a sideways smirking glance or just pass a little judgment of, oh my, oh that poor person, what a what a silly decision. While you sit there in your own mind in your infinite wisdom of how things should be handled, do you ever gossip about other people? their lives and their decisions with that air of superiority that you have it all figured out, but those poor other souls are so screwed up or such failures. Well, if this is you, which it almost certainly is you and me too, even even if you only think it in your mind, well, there's room for us to grow. Um, and this stood out to me in the in the uh, Proverbs. So, so what type of wisdom can take us beyond hubris or self-conceit or arrogance? And, you know, getting beyond hubris, it struck me so strong that I pulled out just three Proverbs specifically from the hundreds that we read or you're going to read in chapter two. And I came up with these following from the Hebrew Proverbs, quote, the road to heaven shines bright and is easy to find, but the multitude does not follow it. See, the truth is evident. We all know what we should do. It isn't for lack of understanding that we self-sabotage. As the proverb says, the road is very clear, but still, Doing things to ourselves, so eating a horrible diet, being lazy, not exercising, making excuses for this, that, or the other, uh, or even bigger, you know, how you should treat people in your life and society in general. But the truth of the matter is your ego way too often gets in the way of doing the right things. We are usually certain we got things all figured out when usually, well, we don't really. And rather than admit it, we lie to ourselves. You know, the road to heaven is bright, but the multitude don't follow it. Speaks clearly and distinctly to that fact that we just all too often choose to do it our own way. When in fact, the simple and clear path is right in front of our face. Yet we're just too self-important, too smart, too undisciplined to take it. It's a lot easier just to blame other people. Uh, We're great at doing that as it protects the ego and gives us a convenient way out for our failures. So that that particular one struck me. But... Basically, the, the Chinese proverbs say the same thing, just in a little different way. The Chinese proverb that, that I really liked was, quote, people have approximately the same nature, but diverge widely in practice. Our ego tries to tell us we are oh so special. We're one in a million. Nobody's like us. But 
Can we just be honest for a second? At the end of the day, we all started at the same place and we will all return to that same place at the end. We are all over the board in our actions, in our world, in our daily lives. And that's an ego-driven mindset. And the key is to find a way to quiet that ego, to live that full life, as your ego will have you chasing all kinds of things, money, fame, power, whatever your drug or alcohol of choice might be. But in the end, we're all approximately of the same nature. What a powerful thing if we would just stop and think about that. We're so quick to try and divide everybody up in our society today. But you know, the Chinese proverb says very clearly, we all have approximately the same nature. What's what's messing with us is our divergence in practice because we let our ego run wild. We let our, our pride, we let our lust for things drive us in one way when in fact we're all so much more similar than we are different. And then finally, the Hindu proverb uh, says basically this quote, someone who is dependent on others knows no happiness. Now, I think the proverb goes beyond someone as in a human and could even apply to something. Sure, it is absolutely true. If you are dependent on another human being, I don't care if it's your spouse, significant other, or whomever for happiness. Can you really stop to put on the shoulders and the back of another human being to make you happy when in fact that other person's struggling just to get by on their own as well. Uh, they can't fill that role forever. They are not a God. They are just a human being and they never will be. But for some reason, when we become dependent on somebody else for happiness, it's almost always going to go bad. Uh, but I think it does go beyond just a person, another human being. I think this proverb applies to those maybe addicted to money or a profession or work or anything else. See, our ego in our modern world sets us up to chase things and to accumulate things in this futile effort in this futile attempt to, to be happy. We see it all the time in our mindset and chasing the American dream. And, and you watch this happen and you hear these stories. Well, once I graduate high school, I'm going to be happy. And then once I graduate college, no, then I'll be happy. Once I get the dream job, I'm going to be happy. Once I buy the fancy new car or house from my dream job, I'm going to be happy. Once I'm married, I'm going to be happier. When I have kids, I'm going to be happier. I, I make a million dollars or whatever it is. You get the point. It doesn't matter that much the thing you are chasing. But if your happiness and your fulfillment is based on someone or something else to make you happy, it's going to fail 
every single time. Because once your life and your perspective is dominated by this ego-driven thing, it's not going to hold up. Those things of the ego, they will fail. Those things we accumulate, win, achieve with the ego are very fleeting. And we know this is true. Let's just try just a short little thought experiment right now. It's going to clarify what is most important in your life versus where you spend, invest most of your time and energy today. So if I told you, you were going to die in two weeks, what would you do? Where would you spend your time? My guess is all those material things of the ego, they would mean nothing. If you had a week or two to live, my guess is you wouldn't run to the bank, take out all your money, put it on your bed so you could sleep and be with your money and hug it every night. My guess is, you know, chasing that job, chasing that promotion, uh, waxing your car, uh, all those things that you hold up as incredibly important, they would fall away. They would fall away really quickly. And the most important aspects of your life will immediately come into focus. And we lose track of that really easy because our ego-driven mind kind of pushes us in that direction. So the wisdom in these Proverbs enlightens aspects of a life well-lived. And it is amazing to see how it slices across cultures, religions, and ends up at just about the same place in so many ways. And, you know, I look forward to seeing your comments to the discussion questions on what you found incredibly valuable from these par proverbs and and what struck home for you see my view is just mine and you may have taken a totally different theme or maybe something else struck you as the most profound bit of wisdom that you learned from these proverbs and 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 i can't wait uh to read about those in the discussion area that that you post out there uh, so take your time to do that but after you wrap up lesson number two, in lesson number three, we change directions. And I mean, we're going to read part of a classic. And when I say classic, I mean one of the heavy hitter early works to ever be created by a human being. Because we're going to read a portion of the Iliad by Homer um, as we move on to a chapter about the wisdom in the warrior ethic. This is this is going to be awesome uh, as we as we move beyond uh, lesson two into lesson number three. So until the next time, happy writing, happy reading. Hope you found real value in reading some of these ancient proverbs. Mm -hmm.